You're a busy provider trying to stay current with the latest HIV testing, prevention, and treatment guidelines, and your pockets are overflowing with note cards. You need a convenient, trustworthy source for HIV testing, treatment, prevention, and care protocols. All healthcare professionals have a role in stopping HIV. Introducing HIV Care Tools from the AIDS Education and Training Center program. The HIV Care Tools mobile app is simple, free, and fully functional offline or online. It features quick guides for HIV prevention, screening, testing, diagnosis, and treatment. HIV Care Tools provides common clinical calculators used in HIV management and provide validated screening tools for comorbidities such as depression, substance use disorders, and PTSD. And if you need clinician-to-clinician consultation, HIV Care Tools provides one-touch access to free clinical consultation services by a multidisciplinary team of experts. Take us with you. Download HIV Care Tools today. Welcome to Nika in the Know, a podcast for healthcare providers in the HIV field. I'm Mariana Braitman. Today, I'm sitting down with Dr. James Satriano to talk about de-escalation strategies and creating safe spaces for service delivery. Dr. Satriano is Assistant Clinical Professor in the Department of Psychiatry at Columbia University and a research scientist at the New York State Psychiatric Institute. Welcome, Jim. Thank you, Mariana. It's a pleasure to be here. So let's just dive right in. Managing agitation in HIV care settings has become a frequently requested training topic amongst HIV care providers. What are most of the sites seeing in their organizations that prompt them to request this training? Well, I think uh, we live in interesting times, as the Chinese expression goes. And um, I think a couple of things are involved here. One has um, more to do with HIV than than the times we live in, because certain diagnostic groups are overrepresented among people with HIV infection. And I think that that uh, has to do with um, uh, increases in uh, the number of people with agitation we see. So I'm going to talk a little bit about a few of those. First group I'd like to talk about is people with post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, as a group, people with HIV infection come from uh, people, a group of people who uh, may have overly experienced trauma in their lives. We know that individuals who have suffered uh, physical or sexual abuse as children are overrepresented among people with HIV. We also know that, of course, uh, gay men are overrepresented among the uh, HIV infected, and they typically have um, traumatic upbringings because of uh, a cultural rejection of their uh, sexuality. We know that drug users and substance users are overrepresented among people with HIV. And also, uh, there's a lot of trauma involved in in people who are uh, either addicted to drugs or using a lot of drugs. And finally, um, Uh, sex workers are overrepresented among people with HIV, and uh, we can well imagine the the, uh, trauma that's involved in the type of work they engage in. Um, So that's the the post-traumatic stress disorder group. Other groups uh, um, overrepresented among HIV infected are people with serious mental illness, uh, generally people with schizophrenia, schizoaffective disorders, bipolar disorders. These people while uh, agitation is not um, um, uh, frequent with every one of these individuals, um, in acute phases of their illness, you can see agitation express itself among these uh, people. So if you have someone with a serious mental illness 
and they're suffering from an acute episode, um, you can see agitation among them. Um, the third group I'd like to talk about are people with personality disorders. Um, two personality disorders in particular are overrepresented among people with HIV, and that would be borderline personality disorder and antisocial personality disorder. And you can see agitation uh, um, in both of these uh, diagnostic groups. So they're overrepresented. And um, I think I've covered the certain diagnostic groups that are uh, overrepresented here. So you can see agitation as a result of any of these uh, psychiatric diagnostic groups. The second thing I think that's uh, driving this um, uh, need for training now is uh, situational stressors. Certainly over the last several years, we've had COVID and all of COVID's variants. And um, I, I was recently reading a book review of a, a new comedy book by Christopher Buckley on uh, the early epidemic and was reminded of, uh, you know, washing down uh, oranges uh, with uh, disinfectant and uh, doing the sort of crazy things that were involved in the beginning of the, the pandemic when we didn't know how this was transmitted. It was just a level of stress. So that level of stress hasn't gone away. We all sort of uh, kind of, well, at least I assume that COVID would be on the back burner by now, but now we're awaiting the fall variants to see what they bring. And uh, Omicron, uh, we're just getting to the end of Omicron now. So that's increased uh, uh, agitation and stress among individuals, not just clients, but you know, staff members too. And on top of that, we've got monkeypox. And now reports of polio uh, being resurgent in New York City. So all of these medical stressors on a community that's already medically stressed with the HIV community is uh, uh, increasing agitation. And finally, uh, cultural things. I think that um, you know we're, we're living in a politically uh, volatile age. Um, there's a lot of rhetoric about, you know, increased violence and the potential of a civil war. Uh, um, but um, whether these things are true or not, they increase tension among uh, the population, both the staff and the clients. Uh, we've had recent increases in cost of living where, you know, groceries cost a lot more, transportation costs a lot more. That puts economic strain on everybody. And um, I think we have a right now, everybody's feeling uncertain about the future. Um, we don't know what's around the next bend. Uh, again, we're, we're, we're waiting for the next variant or the next uh, political catastrophe or the next uh, um, um you know, um, cost of living catastrophe, or we just don't know what's going on now. So people are on edge. And when people are on edge, we can see an increase in agitation. I hope that answers your question. It does. <laughs> so some of the ways agitation, escalation, and de-escalation can be planned for involve the physical space of the organization. So what do you recommend that HIV care settings take into account to create a safer space for everyone to work and receive care in? Sure. I, you know, safety is the main priority here for, for people who are agitated and may spill over to aggression, which, we, we, of course, we're trying to avoid it uh, as many costs as we can. Um, we want to look around the area where we work. Just go into your workspace uh, the community spaces where everyone gathers, your office where you may see patients or um, day rooms. Look around. Uh, safety is a priority here. Uh, what you want to make sure of is that there are adequate exits and the exits aren't blocked. 
frequently people who are agitated and upset want to get out of there. And if they feel blocked in, they may strike out. So, you know, make it easy for people to get out if they feel they really need to get out. So there's easy access to exits. Um, if you have furniture blocking the way, make sure that the furniture can be slid out of the way if necessary to make an exit more uh, available. Um, you know, as with, um, I guess, anything uh, with agitation where people are hypersensitive, uh, you want to keep uh, external stimuli at a minimum. So uh, make sure your space is painted in muted colors. Um, you know, you don't want garish things, to the things that are overly bright. You don't want the scene to be overly lit. Of course, you don't want it so dark that people are falling over things, but you know, you don't want it so bright that it's a, a, a glarish uh, or a, a intrusive. So have a calm lighting, um, noise abatement, you know, make sure the place is not too noisy. Uh, people who are agitated are overly sensitive to things like uh, uh, increased noise and, and things that are too loud. Um, you, you want to minimize things that can be weaponized too. So go into your office, go into your workspace and see if there are things sitting on your desk that someone can pick up and use as a weapon against you if it should come to that. Don't leave letter openers lying around on top of your desk. Put them in your desk drawer or your stapler that can be picked up and hurled. Uh, heavy books you might put on a bookshelf behind you. Um, just keep, you know, it's sort of common sense. We try to keep these things in mind. You know, we work in a setting every day. We tend to leave things lying around that we use consistently. But keep in mind that for people who are agitated, they can just impulsively pick something up and use it. So uh, keep that in mind when looking at your workspace and try to make it as safe as you possibly can. What are some signs that a person may be becoming agitated? Well, you know, those uh, we can usually uh, uh, ascertain just by looking at someone. Um, you know, much of uh, many of the signs of agitation are motor, uh, motor activity, increased motor activity. So you see pacing, uh, people are pacing back and forth. And as they're pacing back and forth, um, you know, they may be muttering to themselves uh, or yelling out loud uh, as some, uh, as sometimes uh, common. So uh, hand and arm movement, uh, People are generally waving their arms back and forth. They may be uh, clenching their fists, uh, uh, angry expression on their face. You can just see like most of um, what we convey to other people uh, non-verbally um, can be just ascertained by a glance. So we can pretty easily see even without talking to someone that someone's uh, suffering from agitation. So um, once we see that, you know, we can then uh, try to approach them to try to uh, derail that agitation. But the first thing is in identifying it. Um, it's generally not subtle. Um, you know, there, there's uh, almost never the case of uh, you're asking yourself, is this person agitated or not? You know right away when someone's agitated. And once you notice these signs, what steps can you take to help the person manage their feelings? Sure. Um, one of the things that I recommend that settings develop is a de-escalation team. So first of all, we have to inform the staff that we're going to try to verbally de-escalate people who are agitated. Uh, secondly, form a team, three or four people who might volunteer to say, you know, I'd like to be part of this. So you want to recruit people to the team who are uh, characterologically uh, available to handle chaos. You don't want timid people 
people. You don't want people who are easily frightened or uh, put off by someone who might be a little uh, aggressive or agitated. So someone who can handle a bit of chaos uh, um, uh, with their personality are, are the correct people to have on the team. You don't want overly frightened or timid people on the team. I'm not condemning either of these groups, just saying that certain people are characterologically more able to handle stress than others. Uh, so once you form this team, um, and, and I can come to your setting and train you on how to do this if you're interested. Um, so the, the most important thing is you see an agitated person, I want one person the team may form, there may be three or four people outside of the room. I want one person to uh, um, uh, approach the agitated person. The rest of the team either stays in the back of the room or out of sight uh, and, and are available if need be, but one person contacts uh, the agitated individual. I want you to make contact with that person. If you know the person, go up and say hello to them and address them as you know them. If you don't know the person, introduce yourself, tell them who you are, and ask them how they like to be addressed. So you've made contact with that person in a non-confrontational manner. Then I want you to establish rapport with that individual. Say that, you know, you understand they're upset. You're here to talk to them about it to see if you could help. So that way, you're, you've already established that you're on their side. You're not here to, like, uh, criticize them, but you're here to try to help. Don't be demeaning or belittling to people who are agitated. I think one of the things that we tend to think about people who are acting agitated like this is they're acting in a childish manner or in an immature way. You say that to an agitated person, you're going to further agitate them. You're acting like a baby. Only children act like this. Can't you act like an adult? That's belittling. Don't do that. Um, uh, remain calm. Um, you know, one of the things that when we're agitated or anyone's agitated and yelling and ranting, what we expect back from others is the same kind of aggression that we're putting out. We expect to be, uh, we expect our uh, upset and agitation to be met with upset and agitation back. If you can remain calm, that's somehow disarming to agitation. So people who are agitated aren't expecting a calm response. I want you to listen to what the person's saying and try to put yourself in their shoes. Um, you know, uh, I, I've had uh, agitated people tell me things that were completely irrational or unbelievable. So um, I've had uh, a patient say that they were agitated because their apartment was being painted and they were convinced that the landlord was painting it with radioactive paint to kill them, to get them out of their apartment. So it, that's an irrational kind of thought. And my uh, initial response or my initial thought is this is delusional. But what you have to under, what I had to understand is a person doesn't feel safe in their own home and feels confronted by uh, their landlord. And I mean, if you can put yourself in their shoes like that, you can do a lot to uh, um, conveying that you're understanding what's going on with them. So remain calm, listen carefully to what they're saying. Try to repeat the message back so that the person feels understood. So say things, um, let me see if I've got this right and we'll try to repeat back what the person is saying is, so what I hear you saying is, and repeat it back. So um, sometimes when the person hears what the, the ideas that you're trying to convey, they understand that you know it may be irrational or it may sound uh, like they're uh, uh, trying to gain vengeance or something else. So that feedback can be helpful in itself in 
calming things down. I want you to offer help and our alternative ways of uh, handling the situation. So, you know, one of the things that person wants is uh, a lot of times on the feeling uh, agitated, they're feeling helpless. Something's gone on that's outside of their control. So say that you're here to help and try to help them solve their problems and find either the best way to approach this problem or, or an alternative way. Don't promise people things you can't provide. Don't say, well, oh, I can do that for you if you can't. Um, that can also further increase agitation. So these ways of intervening with a client can be calming, can give feedback to them, can let them know that someone else is on their side and can eventually calm them down. Um, finally, what I'd like you to do once you've calmed the person down out of the agitated state is debrief them and debrief the team that you work with. So, but first, first the client themselves say, you know, uh, I want to talk to you about why I came up to you today and what happened. And you can offer alternative ways a person can behave in a similar situation. So, you know, I understand um, you accidentally stepped on Mr. Jones' foot and he swore at you and called you all kinds of names. That would probably upset anyone. anyone uh, but, you know, instead of yelling back, you might have, bah, and give an alternative way. A lot of times people don't cognitively have that set, that alternative uh, way of acting. And but by providing them with an alternative, you've given them something in the future if something similar happens, hey, I don't have to do that, I could do this. So debrief them, debrief the team. Obviously not every time we do everything, uh, something, everything is perfect. So like what went wrong, what went right, how could we improve this next time if we have to intervene with someone in the future? So those are the things I generally recommend to try in verbal de-escalation. It worked far more often than uh, we, we would have thought in the past. Generally our um, kind of knee jerk is, um, you know, call security or uh, uh, bring in bring in authorities to stop them. But this works very frequently. So uh, I'd like people to try it. Can you talk a little bit about where communication among all levels of staff comes in when managing agitation? Well, um, the first thing we need to do is if we're going to try this, everybody on the staff needs to know that we're gonna try this. So um, you can't have uh, an agitation team and people who aren't on the team being unaware that you're going to try this because the unaware people are gonna call security when they see an agitated person. Security is gonna show up and you're gonna say, wait, we're gonna to try to verbally deescalate the person and security's, um, you know, their, their sort of focus is safety at all costs will restrain this person. Um, and quite frankly, in the mental health field, restraint was our go-to uh, in terms of agitation in years past, either chemical or physical. When we saw an agitated person, we either gave them a drug to calm them down or we restrained them physically and put them in isolation until they calmed down. We're trying not to do that now. Um, you know, as a last resort, you may have to resort to chemical restraint as a last resort. You may have to resort to calling authorities if agitation spills over to aggression, um, but not as a general rule. And since I brought that up about calling authorities, I'd like to make a point about that. Um, you know, we don't want agitation to spill over to aggression. And you can inform the client who is agitated and may become aggressive that if that happens, you may have no alternative than to call the police or call authorities. Do not use it as a threat. 
you know, if you keep this up, I'm calling the cops, is a way to increase agitation. Uh, my job here is to keep you, myself, and everyone around us safe. If that seems like that might not happen, I may have to call the police. I don't want to do that, and uh, but I, I just want to let you know that that would be a you know sort of a last resort. But I may have to do that if um, if I feel like someone's safety is uh, in danger. So um, one, get everybody on the same page. Let everybody know that um, uh, de-escalation is going to be the first thing that you attempt and uh, form a treatment team, a, a de-escalation team of people who are um, personally able to handle chaotic situations. For most of the organizations where you've done this training, how are these methods different from the traditional ways that healthcare providers have dealt with disruptive behavior in the past? Yeah, well, I sort of already addressed that in terms of us um, uh, not wanting to use restraint and seclusion anymore. Again, um, it's kind of the last resort and I, I don't want to say that under no circumstance should we restrain or seclude individuals. Sometimes that is necessary. Sometimes agitation does spill over to aggression. And, you know, it, it's kind of helpful to note that um, um, sometimes threats of aggression are used as tools. Um, as you work with agitated individuals, you may be able to, to begin to recognize that some people threaten aggression with um, um, you know, no intention of being aggressive. They, they're using it as a tool. And, and you can um, uh, derail these individuals by saying things like, you know, this is really not a good idea. Let's not go down this road. Um, and, and they realize that the tool they're trying to use against you, this threat, is not working with you. So um, that can be derailing. But sometimes people, especially people with histories of trauma, and I talked about um, a large number of our people uh, with post-traumatic stress disorder, sometimes people with histories of trauma tend to strike out because they feel threatened. So um, you need to use your clinical judgment, I think, in terms of trying to gauge whether aggression is being used as a, a threats of aggression are being used as a tool or whether someone actually feels threatened. Because when people generally feel threatened, that's when they uh, tend to strike out. And one of the things about de-escalation and that sort of calming approach and establishing rapport and making contact with the individual is trying to derail that uh, um, that um, escalation and making people feel threatened. So, you're, you know, you're not coming in to an agitated person as a person of authority saying you're acting childish and we're going to take you out of here, which could, you know, make them feel threatened. Clearly, we're trying to do the opposite of that and calm them down. So I hope that answered your question. Jim, thanks so much for joining us and telling us all about how HIV care providers can identify agitation and steps they can take to creating safe spaces for service delivery. We really hope you learned something new today. To learn more about Nika AATC's work and our role in ending the HIV epidemic, visit us at www.nikaatc.org. That's www.nekaatc.org. If you have questions or comments about anything we covered today, or if you have suggestions for topics you'd like to hear us talk about, don't hesitate to email us at podcast at nikaatc.org. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T at nikaatc.org. Stay safe and we'll see you on Thursday for our next episode of Nika in the Know.
This presentation is supported by the Health Resources and Services Administration, HRSA, of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, HHS. The contents are those of the authors and do not necessarily represent the official views of, nor an endorsement by HRSA, HHS, or the U.S. government.